I've always been willing to change my mind about certain things that we just have to be. We have to be willing to change our minds when presented with new information that's very compelling and we feel does challenge our beliefs and actually deconstructs them, you know? Um, So I think that that's, that's just kind of where I've always come from with different aspects of what I've been doing. And I think like I just have so much trust built with people who are along for that ride that I think I'm not as worried about changing my mind or changing my stance on something. I'm Emily McDowell. And I'm Holly Whitaker. And this is Quitted, a podcast about quitting. Hi. Hi. Welcome to Los Angeles, Holly. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's very sunny. It's very hot. Very trafficy. Um very uh culture shocky. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long have you been here now? Uh today's Wednesday. So I got in, I think I came into town on Saturday. No, Friday night. So whatever that is. Um it's been a Five whirlwind. Days. Yeah. 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 It, I drove across the United States very quickly. And I, I think I left Sunday night and then I got in Friday night. Um, and I, I like chilled in, uh, Nashville for an extra day. So I drove a lot. That's a lot of driving and your cat did okay. You know, she actually did fine, but she is kind of a wreck. She's like a country kitty. Like she's Mm. very, like she was very different in Brooklyn than when she was when she lived upstate. And like, I just don't think she's happy and it makes me very sad. And I think Mm. once we have furniture and the house has more like shock absorbing, comfortable things and places for her to hide, but she's just walking around crying and compulsively scratching her litter box. Um, Oh buddy. I know I'm really fucked up about it. And, um, (laughs) my friends have a cat who had nervous issues and they put her on a drug and I saw this cat and this cat is like, she's a little drug, like she acts like a drugged cat and I don't want to change my cat. Um, no. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm listening to myself. <laughs> just like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> shut up. But Listen, your cat this is, is my child. Yeah. She's going through it. This is cha- cats hate change. Right. Like oh, they, God, I know. they really hate change. And so anytime you, you throw a change into a cat's life, it takes most cats and I've had cats for 25 years and most of them, it, <laughs> it takes a minute to like, you know, is anyone shocked that I've no. had cats for 20 five years? No I feel like that's the most uh, <laughs> Emily thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Listen, uh, I have six cats and let me tell you. <laughs> God. No, just two. But <sighs> like yes, they don't like change. And you know, yes, they like having a place to hide and they like furniture and they like, you know, enclosed spaces yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And so all of that is arriving in your apartment shortly. And yes, she's be, gonna be fine. You know, I know she's yeah. gonna be fine. I just I feel bad for taking her from her home and yeah. putting her in a car for a week in a tiny crate. The other night I hadn't stored the crate yet and she saw it and she smelled it and she went and sat inside of it. And I'm just like, is this like you telling me you want to go back? Because I know, I know. But um, I mean, honestly though, the crate crates can be it can be comforting for them because it smells like them and it smells like something they know. Yeah. So okay. it's not necessarily like 
a bad idea if she's continuing to cry. Here, here I am dispensing cat cat advice here on air. But like to leave the crate out and let her if she wants to sleep in there, like let her sleep in there. Um, oh my god, this is really great. I've cool. done that. I, uh, with my cat. I mean, yeah, I disassembled uh-huh. it and I put it away. Um, uh, well, then never mind. Sorry, Mary. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, cat. Your life is ruined and you have no crate. Um. So anyway, uh, Emily and I are um. Real quick, we are going to kind of close out our first season. We weren't going to ever have seasons, or maybe we were. We don't know. Um, What day is it? Uh, Who knows? But we are going to close out. uh, This is our our 20th episode, I believe. And we're going to drop one shorter episode to kind of talk about everything that's going on. But on Friday, we were supposed to record um, interview Angela Chen, who please get this book, uh, wrote a book on asexuality. It is like the, I think the most important book I've read all year. And it's called Ace. It's Ace. a great book. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, we just couldn't do it and neither could Angela because it was the day that Roe v. Wade was, uh, overturned. And I think that we are going to honor the fact that we recorded an episode every week and like pumped them out in a way we actually did not plan to. And also honor the fact that right now it doesn't feel great to do this. And we want to also just take this as an opportunity to take a month off. Um, Emily's going to be in California next week and we're going to get together and kind of like process all of this and then figure out like take our learnings and, and then shape what we do next. Yeah. Strategize, strategize for the rest of the year. That strategy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, we're going to take a little bit of a summer break. Yes. So this is, uh, you want to, you want to tee up this one a bit? Mm -hmm. So this week we have the second half of our conversation with Diane Sanfilippo about quitting diet culture. And last week's episode, if you didn't hear it, was a really good sort of overview on, what diet culture is and sort of Diane's background and how she got to where she is now, which is um, an author of multiple paleo and keto book bestsellers who has renounced diet culture and who is now focusing on sort of undoing and unlearning in her own life all of the diet culture behaviors that she has been sort of living among and within and employing herself for two decades, and then also what that means for her career, um, because she has effectively renounced the work that she spent a decade doing. And so this second half of the this episode, we get really into what that piece of it has been like for Diane, the quitting and the changing of directions and the, you know, how it feels to you know, be in that liminal space of being in your own undoing. And then also when you have a responsibility to an audience or to customers or people that have followed you or people that have bought your work, you know, what what happens to that? And what does that feel like? And how does it feel to feel your way through that and be with that? So we talk through that and how that is with her. And, and and this has been a particularly interesting thing for me because I have struggled internally with, as I let go of my company and am moving forward with the next piece of my life, I was really concerned about how that would be perceived by my audience or people who have been a fan of the brand for a long time and people who have supported me and supported my work and 
you know, there have been a, you know, a handful of people who have sent me emails saying like, I'm really disappointed in you, or this really let me down. Mm. Um, I'm really bummed that you sold this company. And it's been interesting to sort of sit with that and to say like, okay, and also this is work that I still really stand behind and that I loved doing for a long time. And also I am ready to move on from it and to do something new. And Mm -hmm. so this idea of owing, owing an audience, like, you know, this, this idea of people who supported you when you were doing one thing. Mm -hmm. um, And then if you change the thing you're doing, where does that leave that relationship? Is that a relationship? You know, all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny when you're saying this because I've had people be so disappointed in me for so long all the time about <laughs> decisions that I make or things that I do, and they're very vocal about it. And I think that one of the things we talk about at the end of the episode is this Gandhi quote, commitment to the truth over commitment to consistency. And I think that that has been something that has had to continually guide when when you are in a position, as we understand, like so many of you listening to this are not, you know, like, but there are still always like this, there's always other, there's always people that are going to be disappointed in the choices that we make um, and not understand the decisions that we make or, or whatever. And I think that idea of remaining true to our internal compasses, even if, and especially if people are not going to readily and easily understand all of the stuff behind it and make wild mm-hmm. assumptions and think the worst of you. It still is about this maintenance of like, you know, like kind of going back to Africa Brooks episode of like this, like this integrity, this internal thing and like this alignment within ourselves versus making sure everyone really understands. And I think Diane is kind of, I found her to be really fearless in this and that when she realized that her whole career in that moment when we talk about her standing on the scale and saying, I can't diet again. I mean, in my mind, I probably would have first thought, what's everyone going to think? And that wasn't, her concern was on her own individual experience. And I thought that she's just like, she's in touch with herself and her values and she lives by she's them. She's really and committed rare. to her own integrity. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So with that, Let's get into the episode. I also wonder what the response has been from the people who follow you, the people who've bought your books, the people who, you know, that have people struggle to understand this, like, and have people sort of taken it on as criticism of them or criticism of like, well, you're saying, you know, I'm, am I wrong now? Like, am I bad? Like, I'm curious, like what that experience has been like, you know, with this audience that you've built? That's a good question. I think in terms of the, are you saying that I'm wrong now? Most of where I've seen some of that has been not explicitly stated or asked, but among some peers, perhaps. Like they are feeling, I think they're feeling a little bit judged in what they do. I'm not judging them because I, how can I? I was there for so, so long and I would just would never. And also like, it's not my job to pull someone out of something that they're saying they're happy with and comfortable with, you know? 
as far as my, you know, readers and followers, I would say the response has been sort of similar to both of your responses independently and uniquely, right? Like this question of, well, I feel like I got a lot of good things from learning about wellness and what can support my body. And also, while this sounds really liberating and yes, I'm right there with you and, you know, yes, I've done this now for 10 years alongside you, Diane, and I'm also seeing how this is messed up and I don't need to live this way. And instead of feeling like I need to have a cheat day, why don't I just like eat all the foods at different points in time when I want them? And it just is what it is, you know? So I've actually had a pretty wide array of responses very few people who are super negative about it. Somebody who left a review on the podcast, which may kind of made me laugh because yeah, this person was mad. They tried to call me a grifter, which first of all, if anything, I lose money through what I'm mm. doing by, mm -hmm. by abandoning this identity and work. I'm doing nothing but losing money. Okay. So like, yeah, like dieting no is a billion bazillion dollar I'm industry selling like, to sell anything. diet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like hilarious to me. So I'm like, okay, so first of all, you don't actually even know what that word means, but they actually wrote gift. There's a gifter. I'm like, indeed, I am a gifter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that kind of thing, or honestly, um, there have been a few folks, again, it, it does mostly come through reviews. Like most people don't approach me personally with how they're feeling upset about something. I think because they're scared to like people know that I have really strong boundaries and that I'm like, I'm not your sounding board for everything. Like I'm not your therapist, you know, we're just, we're not here to do that, but people do try to bring it to the reviews, which whatever, I'm so used to that. But some, some folks who are like, oh, she's just doing the thing that's popular or because it's, you know, this wave now. And I'm like, okay, like you can think that if you want to, and maybe, yeah, maybe part of the cultural zeitgeist changing and the conversation changing affected me too. Like it's actually, I'm learning from it at this time because it is in this swell and more people are talking about it. And so, yeah, this thing happened at the same time that I decided I'm fucking done with this and I can't do this to my body and my emotional state anymore. And also it's an uprising, you know, in what folks are talking about. So, you know, I don't take personally what somebody might think about it because I know what my lived experience is. And I also know it's so hard. Like I literally would not choose this. Mm. I wouldn't choose to be doing this. I just can't not, you know? Right. Can I ask, in that moment where you went to the scale and you were like, I can't do this again, and you've got six published books and like a whole career writing on you, continuing to do it, in that moment, and like, I think like, it's just like, I can see that in that like, it'd be kind of like me saying, you know, alcohol's fine, everyone. Like, I was just fucking around. And... I can't imagine that, right? And I wonder in that moment of I can't do this again, like how does that feel when you've been telling all these people one thing and you like you personally can no longer do the thing that you were telling people to do? Like what is how do you move through that? I think in the moment I wasn't thinking as much about that I really was just thinking about myself and like mm -hmm. what I can tolerate for myself. Mm -hmm. 
and what was true for me. And I wasn't initially thinking, oh shit, this means the whole house comes tumbling down. I wasn't even thinking about that because I really hadn't, I don't know how long it had been, but I'd been slowly like not promoting my own books over time just because I, I mean, I don't even cook from recipes. I write recipes, but I don't cook from them. So like just wasn't showing them as much. Um, I think I had been pulling away from sharing certain things on social media just because social media was pissing me off. So I feel like I had been drifting a little bit from that, but I don't know. I didn't really think about it because it's so important to me that I'm just doing me that it wasn't like, well, I can't choose this for myself because I have those books. Like I didn't have that kind of thought at all. Um, you didn't feel any sense of like, um, like you weren't allowed to change, like any obligation, um, to other people for, okay. No. Um, and I think that's the, the sort of unapologetic thing that Emily was talking about earlier. Like it was more like, well, how am I going to do this? Not, am I going to do this? Because part of, (laughs) I'm laughing because I don't know, is it one of your cars, Emily? That's like, oh shit, I forgot to build a personal brand or Mm -hmm. whatever. (laughs) I'm butchering that, but essentially it's like, well, what I do is, is hinged upon me being real and speaking the truth that I, or, you know, whatever is true for me at the time. And yeah, I don't know. I guess I just kind of trusted that like the people that wanted to be along for the ride would come along for the ride. And it's okay if there are people who are like, no, I still really love doing this thing. And I want to follow what you had written before. And you know, my books are still out there and selling. Like, I'm not like calling the publisher, like, Hey, can you stop publishing those books? That would be another thing I guess I could do, but I'm not really in that place. And also honestly, financially, I don't know that I'm in a position to be like, Hey, stop selling all those books because they do still sell. And I think the recipes in them are great. (laughs) And they were, you know, a decade of my life and a ton of work, um, to write books. So at the time that I made that decision, Holly, no, I wasn't like, oh gosh, you know, what, now what with my Mm. stuff that I've said all over the years. But last summer I had a really big like crash of depression, identity, like it got really, really, really dark. And I was kind of in this hole of like, what am I going to do? Like, where do I go from here? Because it's not just a job that you change. It's literally my identity and like what people know in my livelihood. And yeah, I mean, I guess you, you both have been through that, you know, this whole, like I am abandoning this whole thing, but it is also a combination of abandoning the work and also this whole identity of, you know, that's the person that they know me as. Um, but you know, over the years I've definitely shifted and people have watched me change my stance on different things. So I think that part was, I wasn't as, um, concerned about, but it did kind of come crashing down on me. And I also learned that I have ADHD, which I think a lot of us are (laughs) are learning. I don't know if we, (laughs) 
if we just flock together or what the situation is, if there's more of us undiagnosed than we knew, if social media kind of pushed us into these places, but learning how that has affected so much of this as well. Essentially, like my whole identity has been shaken up partially by myself, but also partially by the ramifications of all of this. So it's it's a snow globe that's basically been shaken and still has not yet settled again. Last summer when you were sort of at the bottom of who am I, what am I doing, how can I be, is there something you can point to that helped you move through that or was a catalyst to help get out of it or, or to, you know, something to kind of Hmm. some kind of like North star or just something, you know, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. (laughs) Um, honestly, I'm still in it. Yeah. I'm only, only less dark because it was so dark that I was like, talk therapy will not get me out of this. Like really dark thoughts. And I decided to contact a psychiatrist locally. I was like, I just need to find someone who I can come talk to and they can tell me if I need some medication because I felt in that moment, I knew my brain was not with me. Mm -hmm. Like it was taking me to places that were just so unhealthy um, in my thought patterns. And so in my past many years ago, probably about almost 20 years ago, I um, I had taken some anxiety or depression medication back then. So I kind of just knew, I was like, I am too far gone to figure this out myself. I'm not going to like supplement my way out of this. And so I, yeah, I found a psychiatrist locally who I went and, you know, I had to be a little bit on a waiting list. So that was a little bit brutal, but having that on the calendar was really helpful. Like knowing I had that appointment Um, and I had spoken to her for a few minutes. I was like, okay, this is going to be good. And I still see her. I really like her, but I also see a a talk therapist as well, um, just a a psychologist. But that was huge for me. I was like, I can't get out of this on my own. So yeah, medication really has helped a lot and the therapy. But I'm still in it. I'm still in the, like, I don't have the grounding under me and I don't know what's next for me. And that's really unsettling. So it's not a place that I'm, I'm used to being. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of all in that place like of what's next, but feeling it out and trying to make some decisions and trying to listen to my own instincts, trying to listen to some really trusted friends about what, what is a path I can take for myself, a path I can carve out. You know, I do have my business. Balanced Bites is my business. It's a food business and I have been running it since 2016. Um, so I'm continuing to focus on that and build that and trying to just take comfort in knowing that, you know, that is something that's very steady in my life. And, you know, I get to be creative and make things, which I absolutely love making things, um, and creating new products. And I love watching people use our products in their homes. Like, you know, people who make food taste better with our spices or enjoy our snacks or meals. Like that is really, something that I try and ground myself in a little bit just to know that I'm actually touching people's lives in that way. But it is really, it's tough. Um, But the podcast is also kind of this outlet. You know, I came through that time 
many years ago, my friend who I do the show with, Abby, she had actually mentioned to me that she wanted to do a podcast. And I was like, well, good luck with that. Podcasts are really hard. You know, for those who don't know, I had a podcast called the Balance Bites podcast for eight years. It started in 2011 when not everyone and their sister had a podcast. Podcasting was pretty darn new back then. But we did a show, uh, my friend Liz Wolf and I did a show for eight years, 400 episodes from 2011 to 2019. And I have done others since some business podcasts, uh, entrepreneurship and stuff like that. So Abby had mentioned this to me and then I came through last summer and then into this year and got to a place where I was like, you know what? Like, do you, you want to do a podcast with me? Like, should we talk about this stuff? <laughs> And I will say, it's great. I love talking about it. I'm like, I wish that we had a show that was more about like happy things. <laughs> you guys ever feel that way? <laughs> I'm like, I'm really envious of those people with those happiness shows. I'm totally. Do you have, to. Are there? Well, no, there, of course there are. Yes. And they're yes, like, at the top. I listen like, to the yes. happier podcast. Yeah, I know. Well, do you feel like you're surrounded by people that are kind of go like do you feel like a lot of people that are in your life are kind of in similar in between space and liminal like liminality like or are you singular in this um yeah i think so i think part of it has to do with the big shift in what's happening on social media that i know we're all feeling whether it's you know just because of the pandemic and we were all like, we're on social media so much and now we don't want to be on it at all. Or the way the algorithm has changed, the way that, you know, what we share in there has changed. So many of my friends are also colleagues. And so it's making a lot of people question what they do and how they do it. Um, yeah. Whether it's that type of change or like Google algorithm changes. Uh, just, I have so many friends who are you know, peers and colleagues in the space. So yeah, some, but I do feel like I have some who are feeling a little more grounded in their work and I, I try and lean on them a little bit to be like, Hey, what do you, what do you think I should be doing next? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not one to really ask for that advice normally. I'm really not. So it's a very strange place to be where I'm like, well, somebody tell me what you think I should do next because I, I normally have a pretty strong flash of like, here's what's next. And I don't, I'm sitting waiting for that. Have you found any appreciation though, for just like, just being in that, not knowing? I fucking like hate not it. having it figured out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I really hate it. I really hate it. I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, the control freak in me is like, mm hmm. And also, honestly, learning about my ADHD and realizing that for 10 years, I became highly functional with it because of book deadlines. I mean, mm. book deadlines are immovable. You know, like we are publishing it on this date. This is what we have told the stores. And especially after my first book, where then I was a proven author and the release date was going to be the release date. There was no like, oh, we're going to just see what happens with this. That really helped me be really functional and very focused on goals and what was, you know, here's what's next. And then after that is the tour and very much knowing like what I would be doing and not having any of that. Like being in a vacuum, right? Like it's yeah, just like, like no structure. Yeah. 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 I'm talking to my therapist about that a lot lately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like trying to, trying to find the ways to 
put the structure in place because I need it, even though I hate it. Mm. I hate it so much. I love nothing more than a blank day on the calendar, you know? Yeah. That's the best to me, but it's also the least, it doesn't feel good necessarily because I didn't like, quote unquote, get anything done. And it's not just about that capitalistic productivity. It's feeling fulfilled, you know, like I did a thing. (laughs) I have a thing to show for my day. (laughs) Like this podcast, I will have to show for this day. Yay. Right. You know? I do. Very well. Yeah. I've just gone with it. I've just like let it all be sucked into the void. I've gotten nothing done. And I think like for me, it's just been like pretty good medicine of just being like letting it be okay that like I have nothing to show, even though I know I'm going to have to get back to structure. Like I know that I will be more fulfilled when I have structure, which I also hate. And I think like maybe like me and like the discipline of structure feels very tied into the discipline around food. I don't know if that feels familiar to you, but like I don't restrict myself with food and cannot because it explodes because I overcorrect and I overstructure and then I get obsessed and I'm really compulsive about it. And so I have been almost like afraid to implement any structure around this because I'm so burnt out on over like, um, on, on that, like restriction around my life. Does that feel like familiar at all? Yeah, it does. Um, and I think I feel resentful of the fact that I need structure to harness and manage myself in ways that help me feel good about myself. It's really annoying but I'm trying to, I'm trying to lean into like, just it is what it is. Like that is what does feel good and find a way to do it in a way that feels like I'm choosing it and not like it's being imposed on me because I can do that. And I have done that many times before. And I, I get this was this week's therapy session, but talking about um, how hard it is to recognize that when I fall out of a habit, like I am so envious of people who are just super fucking consistent with certain habits and ways in their lives. Like, man, but I'm really consistent with a lot of things. I am, I consistently am a good eater. Yeah. (laughs) I am not that person who like, I forgot to eat lunch. Yeah. Nope. Sure not. Um, You know, (laughs) consistent with a lot of things. I'm pretty darn consistent with my sleep hygiene these days. And, you know, like I have to give myself the gold stars for those and, and then just do my best with the others and recognize that, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm probably not going to be good at everything all the time. And that process of like getting better at it again will be a consistent presence in my life, you know, to like, yeah, getting, getting back on that horse or whatever it is to keeping my habits kind of in place. But yeah, anyway, another tangent. <laughs> no, it's not. It's so relevant. And Emily, she said sleep hygiene. I noticed she said sleep hygiene. <laughs> Holly's really into sleep hygiene. <laughs> I have an alarm on my phone at eight o'clock. That's my go get ready for bed alarm. Mm. And mm. I'm not great about it all the time, but 
I try really, really hard to get in bed by nine. And then if I am still awake a little bit, I'm still awake, but at least I gave myself the chance to go to sleep as early as possible. Yeah. When do you get up? I I will wake up naturally sometime between five and six. <gasps> yeah. It's really annoying, which is why I have to go to bed earlier and earlier yeah. because I can't, I will not sleep late. Yeah. Same. Yeah. If I sleep until six, I'm like, oh my gosh, go. Oh, me. I know. It's like heaven like, today. Good I job. Did, yeah. Yeah. It is. Oh, you guys. I'm never going to be this person. I am a late to late to bed and late sleeper. And like, I kept thinking for my whole life, I've been like, well, when I get older, this will shift and this will change. And no, nope. And you know, I'm 46 and I don't think it will ever change. Like I think this We're is just different. This but is that's just how I'm wired. Are. Yeah. But that's what I was thinking about, Diane, when you were saying you want to be like the people that are consistent. I once was talking about, when I was writing my book, I, w- I wrote something on Instagram about discipline because I just am not disciplined. And in a very like in the typical way we imagine discipline. I'm not consistently disciplined. Let's put it that way. And someone, one of my friends who is is and has a business built on it, wrote how to like a post about how to get disciplined. Here's how you discipline it. And I remember just like, there's never going to be a situation in which I am consistent. Like there's just not. I'm not made that way. And I think that for me in this time period where it actually physically hurts because I have no external thing forcing me to be consistent and productive, it really hurts because I'm like, I don't, then I don't work. I don't work in the Mm -hmm. paradigm that's been established that counts on me to make myself into that kind of person. And so as you're saying it, it's just like, oh, it's so relieving to hear because I really want to accept that I'm not a consistent person and stop beating the fuck out of myself because I can't Mm -hmm. do it that way. And I'm going to have to find a different way to exist because I'm never going to put myself in one of those structures again that requires me to fit myself into, you know, a formula that makes me, uh, you know, like an optimist, uh, an optimally, you know, productive person. So it's, thank you for bringing that up. It's so important. Fuck. I love that. Is there, but is there anything else that you, that you want to say about this? Is there anything that you feel like you, Mm. you know, would like to state for the record? (laughs) That sounds so profound. (laughs) Um, Hmm. You and I have talked on Instagram about standing behind the work of our former selves and letting it be. And I think we just went, that was actually a recent conversation we had because I posted something about that. And I think, can you, I would never expect you to take your books off the market, you know, like that would never, you know, like as somebody who, you know, like values your truthfulness and authenticity and your willingness to take risks based upon your values, it would never occur to me that you should erase your past. And um, nor should like, and that you shouldn't still make money from work that you performed and poured yourself into, even if it's not what you'd say today. And so can you talk a little bit about, you know, about that piece of it? I think I've always been a person who wanted to say, you know, I may learn more and think differently in the future. 
you know, and I've tried to not be someone who is sharing from a pedestal and like being up here and kind of talking down to anyone or at anyone, just more wanting to share what I've learned. And so I think by trying to maintain that type of position of like, I'm just here, let's like kind of hold hands and walk through this. I'm maybe I'm literally one step ahead, not trying to be at the top of some mountain. Uh, I think that that part makes it a little bit easier because I don't feel like I have this, you know, yes, a little bit of like a house of cards coming down, but at the same time, not because I've always been willing to change my mind about certain things that I mean, we just have to be. We have to be willing to change our minds when presented with new information that's very compelling and we feel does challenge our beliefs and actually deconstructs them, you know? Um, so I think that that's, that's just kind of where I've always come from with different aspects of what I've been doing. And I think having people who've been along for the journey since you know, 2010, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, when I first started talking about this stuff, there are a lot of people who are just, they're like, I'm team Diane, like whatever you're up to, I trust you because I know that you're always going to tell me the truth of whatever it is right now. And like, I just have so much trust built with people who are along for that ride that I think I'm not as worried about changing my mind or changing my stance on something. Um, because I've also, you know, it's been a practice to have done it. I've changed my mind about different things over the years. I mean, as silly as this is going to sound, even changed my mind on something like cooking with olive oil. I used to be really like, we should never, ever cook with olive oil, which I still don't think we should be like brutalizing it, you know, to, <laughs> till it's smoking in your pan, but little things like that, that over time, people have witnessed me change my mind, you know, or share new information. And so, yeah, I think that that really helps being consistent with that. I love that. I love while you were talking, I also started to think about, um, about brand, like about Mm. where this gets really thorny between, especially in this last decade and this rise of like personal brand and like the line between being a human being and being a brand and, you know, the idea that a, like the definition of a brand is that it like doesn't change and that it has, right. you know, a set of parameters and you, everybody right. knows what to expect all the time and it has a <laughs> definition and it has, you know, and that that is antithetical to being a, a human who changes and grows and shifts when you are presented with new information. And it is a real sort of testament to you that you have built a relationship with folks in your audience who trust you, like who trust that you will, you know, do your best to provide them, you know, with what you believe and what you feel is right and will, you know, and that they're along for that ride with you. You know, I think that that's so important. And I think that, you know, that's a thing that, that gets lost. Like I, you know, there are so many coaches and like people who teach about personal brand and like say like, don't do that. And I think it's so important to do that for Mm. that reason. Well, I think that's part of my, it's part of who I am. So it's part of my quote unquote personal brand is that I will always 
be honest with people. Like I point blank, like I cannot, I can't be bought. I actually have never done sponsored content on social media. Like I became this quote unquote influencer with a following because I was an author. Like I didn't just gain a following because of something else, you know? And so I think, and you know, my following is also baby sized compared to most of the people who were peers or colleagues or in my field, largely because I just never clung on to the thing that would help you grow, like whatever it was in the moment, if it was like sharing cookie recipes or, you know, showing my, you know, skin or whatever abs and cookies. And there's like one other thing that, (laughs) that like gets all the attention on social media and like puppies, basically abs, cookies and puppies. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's been part of my personal brand the whole time because I mean, my friends from high school will tell you like, I am the same fucking person I have always been, you know, even if the things I'm doing change, like the core of who I am never changed because of having a following on social media. Like I was talking about boundaries before we really called them boundaries on social media by basically telling people to stop messaging me because I'm like, I don't have the capacity for hundreds of thousands of people or thousands of people to literally text me. I'm like, I don't have the capacity for that. I'm like, you guys need to stop. You need to stop asking me questions that you should be asking Google. People got really mad at me for stuff like that. And I was like, what you all need to learn how to behave on the internet because this is, you know, so I think people got really used to me just dishing it out, maybe, you know, being a little even more boundary than I needed to be at the time. But yeah, I think that in this world of, you know, having a personal brand and being a person who is a brand at some point, all you have is your name. And so if you can't stand behind what you're doing and who you are, then I just, you don't really have anything else. And kind of to your point, Holly, too, about my work in the past. I mean, I know who I was and where I was coming from when I did that work and the hardest work of my life, writing books, like to be a person with ADHD, writing books is like, so it's just fucking terrible. It is so, so, so hard to keep my butt in the chair and get the words out, you know? But actually, I know where I was coming from when I did that work. And it was from a totally pure place, you know, with good intentions, only good intentions, only the best intentions, and not even intentions of, I think this will sell, you know, like literally I have no idea what it will do, but I have this project in my brain that I need to bring to life. And if someone's willing to publish it, then let's bring it to life. You know, that's always been the intent behind it. And I think that the intent behind the work that we're doing is kind of always the key, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think we see a lot of people who are out there who are very much like grifty and doing all those things really to just grab the money (laughs) or gifty, but to grab the money of it, you know? And I'm I'm actually really bad at that. Like I probably should have been taking sponsorships and doing sponsored posts for a decade. You know what I mean? But I just literally couldn't ever do it. I'm like, you have a list of things I need to say. I'm like, fuck no. Like (laughs) I'm going to promote what I want to promote because I think it's good and end of story. Um, so yeah, I think that that if, if part of your brand is that you are really brutally honest and telling people what's real and true and you're showing up and you know, you're not always made up or you're not, you know what I mean? Like you're showing the messy stuff 
Um, I think that that's what really, you know, it resonates with people. And that's been something that I've had a lot of feedback on over the years. People are like, I really like following you because you're just real. I'm like, I know, I don't know another way to be. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't do it. You know, I can't do it any other way. It's like Gandhi said, he's consistent or he's, um, oh, fuck, what is it? Uh, (laughs) Something to the truth and not consistency. He's... Oh, committed to the truth and not Thank consistency. You. It was something yeah, like committed that. Committed to the truth, not well, consistency. Right. Yeah. If I inspired you to remember a Gandhi quote, my work here is done. <laughs> Gandhi had such a good personal brand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> truly. I like that one. Committed mm-hmm. to the truth, not consistency. hundred percent. Thank you. Oh, I will take mm-hmm. that one. Put yeah. that one on a t-shirt for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, like the salt march, you took everyone, you know, all the way to like the sea and then was like, nah, never, like not nah, never mind, but like changed his mind, you know? And everyone's like, well, we just, you know, marched. And anyway, so yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's anyway. Um, Em, do you want to wrap it? Yeah. Um, I mean, this has been so, such a good conversation and I, and I just so appreciate you for being here and you for coming and being willing to talk about this from being in the middle of it and from, you know, being willing to give, to give us and to give people sort of a window into what it looks like to be, you know, changing your mind in a very personal way that then also becomes a very public way. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. yeah. So thank you. And setting such an example. Thank you for giving me the space to talk about it. You've been listening to Quitted, a podcast about quitting, hosted by Holly Whitaker and Emily McDowell. Our music is by Michael Blumenfeld. Our sound engineer is Adam Day. And our producer is Kathleen Kissich. Quitted is made possible by us and by our listeners. To support the show, join our patron community at patreon.com forward slash quitted. <laughs>